Welcome to Voices of Resilience, a special series from the Vital Voices podcast, where we're sharing stories of courage, commitment, and perseverance in times of unprecedented crisis. I've been reaching out to the women leaders we work with around the world, really just to check in and see how they're doing and find ways that we can best support them in the wake of COVID-19. But what's been fascinating is that rather than replying with their individual needs, the overwhelming responses I've received from the leaders we work with across 182 countries around the world is that they want to find ways to support others. This instinct for leadership is precisely why for the last 23 years, all of us at Vital Voices have been supporting women on the front lines of change. And I truly believe that it's this kind of leadership that's needed in our world now more than ever. So we wanted to bring these leaders, their voices, ideas, solutions, and this great sense of solidarity they have from around the world to each of you. During this series, we'll talk to leaders across industries and cultures. They'll share with us their insights into how they're dealing with this current global pandemic or how they've navigated turbulent times in the past. We'll talk about how they motivate themselves, their teams, and their communities ways that they stay focused on their larger goal, that driving force, and where they find the strength to carry on. We hope that this special series provides a little bit of inspiration in what might feel like a sea of chaos. So thanks for listening. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Today, I'm speaking with Vital Voices Grow Fellow, Michelle Hong in Hong Kong. Michelle is a co-founder of Rooftop Republic Urban Farming, a business that is pioneering the urban farm movement to revolutionize the food system as populations around the world flock towards cities. Michelle and her team are focused on changing the system for food access to increase food security and sustainability and change people's mindsets around urban spaces. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. So just to start off, Hong Kong seems to really be past the worst of COVID. I mean, they, you know, I know you had, what, more than a thousand, just a few over a thousand confirmed cases, but almost 700 recovered, um, only, only four fatalities, which is, which is, seems quite low to me. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how COVID-19 impacted Hong Kong and what life looks like right now. Yeah, sure. So, well, I think back in January when it first sort of started, so Hong Kong was one of the first cities outside of China to have, um, to get the first cases of um, COVID-19. And I believe it's very much um, the experience that the city had with SARS back in 2003, that, you know, there's this, um, so everyone has been really, careful and very cautious um, simply because they've seen what um, an outbreak like this could do to, to the people of the city if you're not careful. So actually um, back in January, we, the people here have been already wearing masks. And, and even though um, a lockdown, like a full lockdown has not been imposed, um, the, the government had also started to instill sort of like a work from home arrangement for you know, government uh, people in the public sector, some of the government offices and uh, a lot of public, sorry, a lot of private companies, uh, the private sector has also fallen, uh, followed suit for that. So uh, in a way, the city kind of did 
go into a little sort of like a, a, a shutdown in a way, but a lot of people had taken their work um, from the offices um, back home very early mm. on. So um, I think now that a few months have passed um, and I think that just seems like with all the different measures, you know, with, you know, like quarantine measures for people coming in and just uh, recently last month, we had uh, what we call like a social distancing uh, measures where we can't have more than four people in a, in a gathering. Um, you know, restaurants are still open, but we are ma- making sure that there is sort of like 1.5 meter distance between, you know, different diners. So with all that in place, um, I think that's been showing to have quite a, a positive um, effect. So I think like the number of cases have started to stabilize, um, but we're all still very careful. Um, we're not letting the guard down. So um, the government um, is also still looking at extending some of the social distancing measures for um, another week or more, you know, and then we'll, we'll monitor after that. Um, but having said that, I think from the, like the public health perspective, I think that it's looking um, positive. Uh, but from the sort of the economic perspective, uh, this has also affected a lot of businesses, especially those um, in retail and in food and beverage. So a lot of restaurants um, are facing a lot of, um, some of them have, you know, are very close to closing down. Some have closed down. A lot of um, the restaurants have to put their their staff on um, no pay leave or, you know, pause a lot of their services. So I think, Overall, in you know Hong Kong, as uh, I think we are also observing potentially around the world, uh, there's going to be a huge uh, implication on in terms of like the financial and on the economy as well. So, I guess yeah, I think with the sentiment here, I feel like um, people are or companies are also you know aware that the sort of recession is embracing for the the the, the effects of it. So. Um, yeah, I think that's the part where we are still struggling with, and I think um, very similar to many other countries around the world as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly you work in the, the, the area of food, and I feel it's so top of mind right now, uh, listening to the um, World Food Program talk about insecurity, food insecurity around the world and the slums of Kibera. Um, in India. I mean, it's just um, heart-wrenching to think about, you know, how food insecure we were and how much worse this crisis has has made it. Certainly just, you know, all of us hunkered down. One thing that remains top of mind is food. I mean, here grocery stores are out of stock, they're mobbed. Um, and around the world, food acquisition is, um, is one reason people are able to go outside. But your work, I know, is focused very much on the future of how we get food, something that has really been put under the microscope right now. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do and how Rooftop Republic normally works. <laughs> this is such a unique space in business. So can you tell us about what motivated you to really start it in the first place? Sure. So, I mean, just also in response to what you mentioned, like now food, you know, it's something that's mostly top of mind for, you know, people on a daily basis, but people don't really question um, the, the level of um, security, you know, in terms of like the food that we consume, because it the, the whole food supply chain is, um, 
the global food supply chain is so well established, but this um, pandemic has really sort of exposed the gaps and the vulner vulnerabilities of you know our food system, and this has also created a lot of opportunities and and people are beginning to start to question and and realize you know how dependent we are on you know imports um, how dependent we are on on things that we don't produce you know within the the city borders so that that was really fundamentally um the message and the kind of awareness that we were trying to drive with rooftop republic so I think broadly speaking, our vision is to create more sustainable cities and more inclusive communities through getting people to grow their own food in the city. And um, instead of going down the production route, you know, by producing food to sell, we wanted people to be part of the process of growing their own food, you know, watching it grow from seed um, up to the point of harvest and consumption. So to, to enable that to happen, um, we provide services such as um, design, um, build, you know, consultancy and management for our, our B2B clients um, in order for them to establish and build an urban farm in their properties and for them to make sure that it's um, well managed and you know it's growing um, it's growing healthily and that you know it's going to be a, that's going to be a harvest you know, at the end of the day. So mm. The, the reason why they're in all of these buildings here in Hong Kong is that um, Hong Kong, like many sort of big metropolises, you know, we're very uh, low on space. You know, we have one of the highest, you know, um, per, like per square foot rent. You know, it's probably you know, back, uh, back in 2019, you know, there's this report you know, saying that the average home price per square foot in, in Hong Kong is probably like four times greater than that of New York. So, mm. so you know, if you had any space in your home, it's not going to be, it's unlikely that you might have space to grow your own food. So um, our, our strategy was really to work with um, building owners, you know, even though we don't have a lot of space on the ground that you can see um, at, at, at um, ground level, uh, there's a lot of um, potential on the rooftops because they are often underutilized. And so on these rooftops of these buildings, um, we will build all these urban farms and and in the buildings or even in buildings in the surrounding area, there are people who work, there are people who are studying there, there are people who live there. And having these urban farms and in the proximity of their life would allow them to have the access um, as well as the, the opportunities to grow their own food. So it's kind of sort of carving out opportunities or finding out opportunities in terms of space in a, in a space-staffed city to, to bring people much closer to their food and reconnect them to, to how their food comes from. So now, I would imagine your business model has probably had to change, you know, uh, certainly in the height of, of COVID, but, but is it still, ha, ha, you know, have you still faced challenges? Because I obviously can't meet with people in person. Um, how have you adjusted the model? Because obviously it's more important than ever. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a great uh, question. Something that we have also been asking ourselves, really, like sort of every day, like looking at the situation and how how things are unfolding. So, I think on one hand, um, we have been quite fortunate to have a um, at least part of our revenue to be a resource of like a like just a recurring income that comes from there. So, so while our pipeline and some of you know, like our revenues are hit by the this outbreak um, we still had 
some recurring income to sort of cushion um, the, the impact. But having said that, you know, we still had to react very quickly. And I think one interesting thing and one opportunity that we discovered um, was that people, first of all, are very concerned about where their food comes from. And they began, became really sort of cons- uh, worried about food security issues. Are they going to be able to get the vegetables? Um, are they going to be able to eat healthily? You know, they're, they're more concerned about the things that they put into their body, um, whether is it full of chemicals or is it organic? And and because now everyone's, you know, they want to stay healthy, you know, and not to get sick. So I think that's another sort of demand that has um, not came up, but it just became more like the urgency has, you know, grown during this period. And I think the third situation that um, that people were put in was that they had to stay at home. They couldn't really go out. And they were also looking for things to do at home as well. So I think that all of that combined um, actually created a new um, opportunity for us, which is in our online business. So while we, in our original business model, we were providing very customized um, services to set up to manage these urban farms, uh, we now had to, we had this opportunity to sort of diversify our offering and to provide this platform where people can come to our website and order some of their grow kits. And we have sort of a range. You can get many grow kits if you had a big space, but if you have a small space, you can get like a couple of them. And so they, so this is um, an, an area of our business, which we mm. hadn't initially focused on, but that has um, kind of unexpectedly taken a um, um, sort of like a higher um priority for for our team uh, these few months mm. so how, how do you how do you keep your team motivated speaking of your team and and shifting and trying to be nimble and pivot um h- how do you keep them motivated during this time of, of real change yes so when it first started i think it was still very unclear for at least the, for myself and my co-founders but we reacted very quickly we started connecting with the clients and 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 to have a very good sort of as as best as we could at that time you know a forecast on our upcoming um, revenue and our pipeline and our cash flow and once we have um some information we were very transparent with our team so um we we explained to them when we shared to them the, the situation that we are in um, and the pressing need to have to make adjustments to, to our business model, to our service level. And, and so we have been very communicating very um, frequently on that. Um, and while we often have sort of team meetings, so our team members are very used to sort of working apart from each other because they are always at the different farms, you know, working, but we made sure that we still maintained our regular sort of like full team catch up and make sure that every, um, everyone's updating all of us on the situation and everyone sort of pitches in to, to see how we can improve and help out with, you know, another team members work. So I think it's, so in a way we're still trying to maintain that level of normalcy you know, we still catch up, but uh, we can't do that face to face. So we do that, you know, via Zoom or you know, via a virtual meeting. But um, I think communication was very important, and and you know, we had to 
create sort of new, that we had to have new sort of um, work or new responsibilities that certain team members never had previously. But we also made, made sure that we try to explain the whole situation, the opportunities, so they, they, they understand the role that they're playing um, in this time where you know, we're all transitioning and we're all adapting very quickly. So I think we're mm. trying our best in that, in that area. So, you know, for someone listening and thinking, boy, I'd love to, to be able to grow my own food. Um, but, you know, maybe they're in an apartment and only have, you know, a little bit of sun. What, what, what advice would you give? Because I think so many of us think, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Um, but how does one get started? Yeah, so I think one of the most common um, things that we hear uh, is that, oh, I don't have green thumbs. You know, I have like brown thumbs. I kill everything that I grow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, a, I mean, I mean, I, I used to say that a lot as well. And I think um, one thing we would love to, to share to encourage everyone is that it's not, um, you know, it's a green thumb can be cultivated. And I think the most important thing is to enjoy the process. So that's, you know, for myself, like we have killed a lot of plants as well in the process of getting to where we are. So I think first of all, to start off, you know, if you have a, even like a window ledge with some sunlight, you don't have to have a huge space. You can start with a couple of small uh, little grow boxes or pots and start with something that you personally enjoy eating because that will give you a lot more motivation. And obviously there are sort of different levels of difficulty and in terms of types of varieties you can grow, you know, um, growing, say, some um, kale versus growing corn, you know, that's a whole, like, two different levels of um, involvement. So, yeah, start something, start with something um, easy, start something small, and, um, and you know, as your confidence grows, you can slowly sort of expand the, the repertoire. So, I think, I think the, the first thing to bring to the table really would be, you know, that, that sort of, um, yeah, the fact that you love food and you want to grow something that you enjoy eating and that would be the motivation that drives you forward in setting up mm. your garden. Mm. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and uh, for the important work that you do. Uh, and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much, Elise. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. We hope that you are doing all you can to keep yourselves, your families, your teams, and your communities safe and healthy. Follow us on social media with at Vital Voices and share ideas of other women leaders who are doing extraordinary things in this time of crisis. You know, I strongly believe that there has never been a more urgent moment to support these leaders on the front lines of change. They are the first responders in times of crisis. And the way that they lead change, it has never been more crucial in our world. So if you'd like to join us and support our work with women leaders, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org, or you can text VITAL, V-I-T-A-L, to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. Stay safe and remember that we will get through this unsettling time and we'll do it together.